Let's start with uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty-five. Paul's writing a letter to a group of Christians that he started in Corinth. He's reminding them of, the, of some things. First of all, I'm just going to read it, and then we'll read it together in another translation. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And again, it's not that he gives those things as a gift to you, you have wisdom, it's that he is those things for us. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So sometimes it's fun to read a different translation because you get so used to the language that it kind of loses it. So let's read this together, the same thing in the message. Human wisdom is so tinny, so impotent, next to the seeming absurdity of God. Human strength can't begin to compete with God's weakness. Take a good look, friends, at where you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretension of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate, and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would come and unveil yourself to us. Take a veil away from our eyes about what it is to walk in our own strength versus walking in yours. Do exactly what you want to do today, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've talked about over the last few weeks, we are called to confidence. But we're called to a certain kind of confidence as followers of Jesus Christ. Confidence in ourself is all the rage today. But what we're called to, uh, what our scriptures teach is our confidence is not supposed to be in ourselves, but it's in God, in a much, much bigger, stronger resource. And it's a strange concept to think about. But I want us to start off by looking at some characters throughout our Bible, and then I'll share what I've been learning from my recent obsession um, that has come upon me. Um, let's look at some strengths or weaknesses in some of the people that we see in our scriptures. Jacob, I don't, how many of you guys have realized over the last three or four weeks that Jacob's kind of a jerk, right? It, I've noticed this over the last year or so reading the Bible. It's just like all these people that were, were my heroes as kids, turns out they're not that great people. Um, we don't need to get too much into him. Joseph, Joseph starts off with a little bit of confidence in himself. He's walking around with this cool coat of many colors that's just putting it up in his brother's faces that, hey, dad likes me better than you. And then he has these dreams. Hey, I had these dreams that you guys were bowing down to me. Good tip, don't tell people that if you're having a dream about them bowing down to you. So he, he starts off with this confidence in himself, but that changes very rapidly. His brothers were going to kill him, but then they sell him to some Egyptians that are coming by. He becomes a slave foreigner in Egypt, and then his slave owner's wife accuses him of, of rape, 
and he goes to prison as a rapist. And a rapist in prison is a bad thing to be, probably particularly in ancient Egypt as a foreigner. So this is the lowest of the low, but it's there that God lifts him up and uses him through his own strength to become the second most powerful man in all the world, in charge of all the food. Moses. Moses starts off, he, he makes sense as the deliverer of Israel. He has the ear of Pharaoh. He grew up in his house. That's the time to use Moses to deliver the people of Israel. But God puts him out in the desert for 40 years, and when everyone else has forgot about him, and he doesn't come back with any name, and he's a slow-of-speech guy, and that's when he uses Moses to deliver his people. Then he keeps him humble and relying on the Lord's uh, strength by having a bunch of people that are complaining all the time about him. Um, Gideon. Gideon's the least of the least of his people hiding out in the hiding out where they um, press the wine, threshing wheat. You don't do that, but he was hiding. And then they were outnumbered by the Midianites four to one. And then God says, okay, if you guys win that battle, you'll think it's your own strength. So anyone who's scared, go home. They had 32,000. After that, they had 10,000. 22,000 of them go home. And then God says, you'll still think it's you if you win. So he says, have them all go down to the creek and drink out of the water. So most of them get down and drink straight out of the stream, but some of them do this, 300 of them, right? So God says, those are your soldiers. They're outnumbered 430 to 1, just so, because God wants them to know, this is my strength we're relying on, not yours. Samson, I, I used to love Samson growing up. He was my favorite because I was in, really into the Incredible Hulk and Lou Ferrigno, if you guys remember that. I wanted to be that guy so bad. Um, so I, Samson was my favorite. But as an adult, you read Samson, talk about another jerk. I mean, he never does anything right his whole life. And the Lord uses him finally at the end of his life when his eyes have been poked out because he's having to push this thing around. And that's when the Lord uses him. It's the Lord's strength. He's, he's not impressed with his strength. David, again, starts off as a humble man and relying on the Lord. You know, when we read David and Goliath, he comes at Goliath, this huge, huge man, and says, I, I know you're really strong, but I'm not relying on my own strength. I'm relying on God's strength, and it works for him. Eventually, through a lot, a lot of circumstances, he ends up being the king of Israel, and the Lord really uses him through his own strength. But then he does something strange. He counts his troops. And what he's doing there is he's saying, I'm taking account of my own strength to see how I can use my own strength to continue to, for this thing to work. And God is like, nope, it doesn't work that way. And when he starts relying on his own strength, that's when the Bathsheba thing happens. He has an adulterous affair, then kills her husband. There's a trend here, if you're just noticing it. Um, Paul. Paul's a guy who is not prone to humility. Paul was the number one student of the number one teacher, Gamaliel. He was very good at following the law. He was very smart. He did really well in life um, up to that point. But Paul puts, uh, Jesus knocks him off the horse, and he sees how small he is. He puts him in the desert for a while. And even when he starts, Paul's life is very, very complicated. But he's shipwrecked all the time. He's getting beaten here. But he's very successful in planting these churches. Um, And then the Lord starts revealing things to him and taking him up into the third heavens. But he also, at the same time, the Lord sees in his heart, you're going to start exalting yourself, so I'm going to give you a thing called a thorn in the flesh. We have no idea what that is, but he tells him, hey, look, you're going to exalt yourself and start relying on your own strength, where I really need you to use my strength to do this. Who else? you got the disciples of Jesus. I mean, these guys were not the cream of the crop. I mean, if, you, if Jesus was going to pick somebody who would rely on their, who, who had strength to give and knowledge, it would have been the Pharisees. They were good at following the rules. They had a lot of knowledge base. But he picks guys like Peter and Andrew. 
You'll find some biblical scholars that think that Andrew may have had a learning disability. These guys are mostly illiterate. The closest thing to having someone of strength would be Judas. And we all know how that worked out. Um, And Jesus himself. We get an idea of Jesus that he was walking around in his omnipotence as God, always knowing what was going to happen around the next corner, having the ability to do whatever he wanted. But he laid that aside to teach us what it was like to live on the strength of another and the confidence of another. We read things like he couldn't do many miracles in that place because of their lack of faith. If he was walking around in full omnipotence, that couldn't have been a sentence in our Bible. But he laid that aside. He wanted to teach us, he who knew no dependence, how to depend on someone else. Jesus was a wonderful example of this. Okay, so I got a question. Is God impressed with our strengths or our alleged strengths? You know, it says the weakness of God, there is none, but the weakness of God is so much greater than our own strength. And another question, would God call me to do something outside of my alleged strength or what I see to be my strengths, which would also be our comfort zone? You know, would God ever call me to do something that is not what I consider to be my strength? I would say yes. All right, now on to my obsession, my new obsession. A couple of months ago, I was watching Bo, and in the background there was this um, documentary on it. It was called Valley Uprising. It was about the, the history of climbing in Yosemite National Park. And I lost my mind. I mean, I was like, this is what I want to do. I saw those guys way up there on those rocks, and I was like, that's what I want to do. But my history in rock climbing Liz is a good rock climber. When we first started dating, she was climbing about three times a week. So she said, why don't you come to my rock climbing gym with me in Nashville, and we'll climb together. And so a typical thing, if you're a man, when you first start rock climbing, you're used to relying on your strength because most of us have pretty good upper body strength. And so we'll just pick these holds that are really big, they call them jugs, and just pull ourselves up like this, and we think we're really good at it. But then after we do it twice, we can't grab onto your hand anymore because the your forearms get just wear out completely, and you just feel like the biggest weakling on earth. So that was my memory of rock climbing. And so instead of trying to learn how to do it right so I'm not relying on my own strength, I decide I'm going to figure out how to get my forearms and my fingers strong. So in one week, I got this guy, I got this guy, I got this guy that strengthens your forearm, I got this little thing that does this. I lost 32 pounds in a couple months. Um... I installed a hangboard in our house. That's a thing to do, like pull-ups on with your fingers, things like that. I was doing all this stuff. Uh, Bo will teach you how to do that. This is a good picture of Bo demonstrating the hangboard. There he is. He's really good. One hand, pull-ups. He's very impressive. And part of my dream is to someday be climbing with Bo, so we got him a little climbing wall. So that's, that's Bo's future right there. Um, so what I was doing is I was, instead of learning to do this the right way, my instinct was to strengthen these things about me so I could do it wrong longer. <laughs> so I could rely on my own strength for a longer period of time. And what if that's what life is like in the Lord sometimes? What if we spend our time strengthening our strengths and continuing just to stay in that spot while he patiently waits for us to step into places that he's calling us to? places that we'll have to rely on his strength and not our own, which is, and his strength is unlimited, his stamina is unlimited, his skill is unlimited. All right, most of us are familiar with the type of climbing we call face climbing. Um, That's a guy named Chris Sharma. He's about as good as there is in the world. And what he's doing right there is extremely, extremely difficult. If you see his fingers, they're just kind of like this, hanging onto this overhanging wall. 
I'll never, ever, ever be able to do what he's doing right there. But that's what most people think of. It takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of stamina. It takes a lot of skill. Now, there, now then there's hardcore face climbing, which is, that's Bo. He's pretty good. And then uh, my favorite type of face climbing is happy face climbing. Uh, <laughs> um, there's a girl in, um, they, there's rankings as far as how hard a route is. Um, and there's a, the, one of the highest is a 515. The 515A has never, ever been completed by a woman until about two weeks ago, this 19-year-old girl from Boulder named Margot Hayes did it. There you go. Good. This is a place called La Rambla in Spain. This is what it's supposed to look like. Thirteen human beings have completed this route before she did it two weeks ago. she's done. <laughs> That's what it's supposed to look like. Guess who in this room will never ever do anything even close to that? Most of you too, to be honest. honest. <laughs> um, that's what it's supposed to look like. That takes unbelievable skill, stamina, uh, smarts, flexibility. Um, but I recently developed, discovered there's a, different types of climbing. Um, and we recently went to a place, well not yet, Poor Taylor Motzenbacher. Raise your hand, Taylor. Taylor is the unfortunate recipient of all my craziness when it comes to rock climbing because he's actually a good rock climber and knows what to do, which means I ask him questions all the time and bug him to take me rock climbing. So we've been three times so far. Um, he's what you call in the vernacular a rope gun. He's the guy that gets the rope up there so a, a guy like me can climb something. Um, I'm what you call a Gumby. Um, which, in rock climbing terms, is a guy who is clueless and probably has no chance of being very good any good day. But we went on our third climbing trip. We went to a place called Turkey Rocks. Um, that's a picture of Turkey Rocks, and that's actually one of the routes we climbed there, off to the side. Um, Liz and Allison and Taylor, we all went, and Bo. Um, we discovered, I discovered there that crack climbing is different than face climbing. Um, there's a, check out that guy. Isn't he the coolest ever? That's what I think David is like. We're going to read a scripture that you're going to see David as a crack climber. Um, crack climbing is different. Um, and when I was doing it at Turkey Rocks, this sermon started to come to my mind. And because you see, in crack climbing, there's a shift in confidence that happens. When you're climbing on a face, you have to find all the holds, know where they are, have the strength. Your body pretty much is tense the whole time unless you find a spot to just rest to put your leg on or a big, uh, big bucket to put your fingers in. Um, but in crack climbing, it's a little bit different. So check out the little girl here. Um, see how her fist is just in that, in that spot, in that crack, and she's leaning back. She's got, her, she's got all her weight there on her fist. And I'll choose a lot of pictures that are like this, of kind of a resting stance so we get the, the, the picture here. In crack climbing, you begin to put all of your trust and all of your confidence, not in your own skill or your strength, but all in the rock. 
you put 100% of that. As I was climbing that crack, I was struck with the fact that my goal here is to put as much of myself into this rock as I possibly can. And the more of me that's touching that rock, the safer I am and the more I can rest. What a revelation that is, right? I felt like the Lord was speaking to me while I was climbing in this thing. If you climb using a crack, look at this guy. That's what, it look, that's what your face looks like when you climb a crack. Um, when you climb a crack, you figure out a way to jam your hands, your fists, your legs, your shoulders. I even saw a video of a woman using her head, putting her head in there and using that as a hold so that you can take the rest of your body and move it up the crack. You let go in, uh, of, with the rest of your body as long as you're jammed in there. It sounds pretty easy, but there's a reason why people hate crack climbing, and it's the look on that guy's face right there. Um, the thing about crack climbing is it's really painful. If you're putting yourself in there, your skin is getting ripped up when you're doing that, when you put your weight on that. Um, about a quarter way up the climb, yeah, you look like that. Like Thursday, I decided to literally practice what I would preach this Sunday. I don't know if you could see my hands, but they're a little jacked up. My, we got this guy and that guy. And, um, but that's what happens when you do it because you're putting your faith more in the, in, the, in the crack than you are. It's painful to your flesh. And in the same way, when you, we decide to stop using our strength and step out of our comfort zone and take risks and rely on the Lord, our flesh doesn't like it very much because we have risk of looking like a failure, looking stupid. You know what else I noticed when I was nearing the top of the route? Taylor, Liz, and I all climbed it while uh, Allison was so nice to watch Bo. Um, I noticed that at the top, of, well, usually when we're face climbing, when I get to the top of the route, my forearms are just killing me, and I can't grab onto anything. They call it being pumped in that world. Um, I noticed when I got to the top of this crack that my forearms weren't tired because I was relying on the, my skeleton and on the rock there, and I hadn't used a lot of my own strength. When you climb cracks, you're using more faith. Um, you'll see some pictures um, of somebody. That's faith right there, right? That guy has complete faith that that rock isn't going anywhere, right? He's jammed in there. And I have to give up controlling things by my grip so tight. Um, keep going, John. You know, he's just kind of laying back there because his, his confidence is that crack's not going anywhere and it's going to put him. And in doing so, when I put my confidence in the rock, I was able to take rests, trusting is that as long as I was jammed in there good and tight into the rock, I could lean back and give myself a break. We sing a song here a lot that was running through my head when that was happening, and it's a song that we'll sing today, but one line in it is, my anchor holds within the veil. You know, and I love that picture because it reminds me of crack climbing. It's like when we say yes to Jesus, there's this anchor that gets thrown into that rock really deep, and it's not going anywhere, and it's not up to us to be able to hold on to the surface of that. That's there, and it's, and it's got us no matter what. Do I think I can trust in that? Um, Anything I can trust in it that much? Check out that guy. <laughs> I mean, that is some serious trust there. And that's what the Lord's calling us to. Later on in the same um, letter that we started off this um, sermon with, 1 Corinthians 10.1, Paul is talking to the same group of people. And he's reminding them of what they were as ancestors when they came out of Egypt. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. You know, we read of the split rock in there. It's obviously a crack climb, right? Um, 
Later in Acts, a lot of times they're telling the Pharisees, Jesus is the stone you, you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. David, in 2 Samuel 22, 1 and 3, he said, David sang to the Lord the words of this song, which the Lord delivered him, when the Lord delivered him from the hands of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. In Psalm 18, he says it again. I love you, Lord, my strength. You're my strength, not me. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It sounds like a crack climbing talking, right? It's not my, it's not my ability to hang on to the rock. It's the, my, it's the rock's ability to hang on to me. In this life, God is our rock. He is the unmovable one, and he is the one with all of the power, all of the strength, all of the stamina that we rely on. He's the one in whom I can place all of my confidence. It's dangerous for a guy like me to be out there on the, on the face of a rock because I have to rely on my own strength. Eventually, I'm going to run out. If it's, eventually, that, that, that uh, wall is going to be high enough where I'm going to run out of strength and I'm going to fall if I don't have something to rest on. So what does it look like in, in life? to rely on his strength and not my own? The answer is simply risk. Risk is crack climbing. So when we step away from our own strength and our own skill on the face of that rock and we put ourselves into the rock as deep as we can, God calls us to things that we cannot do. I know that we don't like to hear that a lot of times but because it's, it's, it's a threat to our ego. We think we can do a lot of things, but... When we look at these pictures, like we talked about um, these people on, in the scriptures early on, David was a little kid who didn't even get invited to the party when Samuel came to see the sons of Jesse. Right? He was not qualified to lead Israel, but that's who the Lord chose because he worked through him. Peter was an illiterate, hot-headed fisherman. He's not the guy that you would choose to found a two-billion-member church on. But yet he did it because he wanted people to know that it was him. It was through his own strength. Mary Magdalene was a demon-possessed prostitute. Wouldn't be the person that you would think would be the first person to know that Jesus rose from the dead and to tell others about it. She's the foundation of everything. She's the one that told everybody what had happened. The list, the list goes on and on like that. God isn't nearly as interested in our strengths as we think he is. They may, in fact, be a hindrance to us because they keep us in our comfort zone. and We'll just keep doing exactly what we know that we're good at and not have to rely on his strength. His resources are completely unlimited. There's a sea, an ocean of his strength, his resources available to us, but we have to tap into them by stop tapping into what our meager resources we have. Even if we're great, great, great at something, it's so small compared to what God can give us. Risking failure looking foolish, being vulnerable in a relationship. Those are the only ways we can place ourselves into that crack, into that rock, to be able to rest. It's the only way we're able to not have to hold on for dear life on the surface. The question, what if hanging out in our strengths all the time, in our comfort zone, is blinding us from following where he may be leading us? It's an interesting question. We assume that what we're good at is what the Lord's calling us to. That's not always the case. In fact, it maybe seldom is. Um, if you feel a leading to go work with refugees, 
but you tell yourself, oh, I'm not really good with other people, and it makes me uncomfortable they eat weird food. And, you know, I'm not good at eating weird food, or I don't feel comfortable around other cultures or other religions. Are you not choosing to stick with your own strengths and not allowing him to give you the strength that he has? You can't put your confidence in your own strength, but when we step out and risk, he'll meet us there. Is God prompting you to give a big chunk of money to somebody? You see somebody on the street, and the Lord, you might say, maybe I'm supposed to give him an amount of money that makes me uncomfortable, makes me a little unstable. You know, and you say, God, no, my strength is a saver. I'm a really good saver. I know what to do with money. You're not choosing your own strength and depriving yourself of the resources of God and the person that he may be speaking to you about. Money is usually an easy way to step into this stuff and try it out. It's God calling you to deeper prayer. And you say, oh, I can do a whole lot more good doing a bunch of stuff. And I'm not very good at sitting still or um, quieting my mind. I've tried that for years with him. Um, but maybe he likes you that way. Maybe he likes you out of your comfort zone, out of your strength, or vice versa. Some, some of us may hide in a secret place, and he may be calling us out to do something else. Fasting is another real practical way um, to practice not using my own strength and relying on his. It's a mystery, but it is a way to embrace our weakness and try it out. We're in a very strange predicament because God likes using idiot weaklings prone to pride and temptation <laughs> because he can always say, no, that's my strength. They need me. I like working through people like that. It's an amazing privilege to be used by the God of the universe. But we need to realize that if God is using us, it might mean that we're safe because no one would ever think we could do what we're doing. Um, me being a worship leader is kind of a joke to people who know me. And I'm sure if Mike's around, he thinks it's a little bit of a joke as well. Because if you ask Mike, does Charlie know anything about music? He'll say, no. He has no idea what I'm ever talking about. And any of you who ever... Uh, volunteer with the, the worship team knows that. Mike comes up with this D plus. I don't know what a D plus is. And he talks to the drummer about these time signatures. I have no idea what he's ever talking about. So it's kind of like this miracle every Sunday that you're witnessing that, that worship even happens because I happen to be the worship leader here. But it, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing for me because I'll never get real confident in that because I'm totally relying on the Lord's strength and quite a bit of your strength too, Mike. Uh, <laughs> One of the beauties of putting our confidence in him and not in ourselves is if, if it all goes to pot, we can just blame him. <laughs> hey, I was using his strength. I wasn't using mine in the first place, so it's not on me, right? But the funny thing is I've never heard anyone say that. I've never heard anyone that steps out and says, you know, I feel like the Lord's calling me to do this, and it's way out of my element. He always seems to come through, and there's always such a wonderful story that comes for it. You know, start with giving. Just make yourself a little uncomfortable giving a little more money. And I'm not saying to give it here or anything like that, but if you can see it, feel like, you know, I always use refugees because that's on my heart a lot of times. If you feel like, man, I'd really like to do something, maybe we give just a little bit out of our comfort zone and see what happens. That's where the Lord tells us to test him. We can start off in all these things. Maybe start fasting a little bit and see what, see what happens there. Just see what it feels like. And start telling people about Jesus and just see where it goes from there. Listen to the Lord. It opens up your whole world. If you, you know, if you just rely on your own strength, there's about two, three things that you'll do. But man, when you say, Lord, it's your strength. You can take me wherever you want to go. I'm open. And all of a sudden, there's a limitless things that the Lord will do through you. After doing this thing for a bit, your confidence in him will be great, and your confidence in yourself will become very small. And you'll be leaning back and resting with as much of you in him as possible. So risk choosing scarcity on purpose. I was talking to someone the other day who makes plenty of money but has chosen for his family to choose to live 
in a little bit of scarcity because he thinks it's good for them. And so that's quite a choice to make. Giving more than I think I can, fasting, it's all very counterintuitive to us. And a little hint, if something's counter, counterintuitive to you, that probably means that you're in the right place because the kingdom of God is counterintuitive to us. It's upside down. Things don't make sense there the way that we think they are. So how can I do what I want to do in the strength of another? It has to contain some sort of risk. It has to have some part of, I don't know how this is all going to turn out. And if God doesn't come through, I totally fall and totally fail. That's a good element to have in our lives. Because he does come through. If I want to move up in that crack, if I've got my fist in there, I have to put all my weight on that and to move my feet up. And if I don't do that, then I'm just stuck. Are any of you stuck in your faith right now? Any of you stuck in a relationship, in any area of your life, in a marriage, in a friendship? What if I put all my weight on him and just trust him to hold me as I move? Placing as much of myself into him as I know how to do. As we close, I want to just read another letter that John wrote to a group. Just think of this in the concept of moving up that crack. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. That confidence is in that rock, in Jesus Christ. So let your life be an adventure. Let's let all our life be an adventure. I can't resist this stuff. I'm sorry. That picture was just too cute. I had to throw it up there somehow. Um, You know, I don't want to waste my life in the comfort zone of what I think is my own strength. I want to see what God can do in the areas that I don't feel confident. I want to put my confidence in him.